Chapter Nine of the Dashe Diamonds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dashe Diamonds by Richard Marsh. Chapter Nine: A Proposal of Marriage. It's too bad of him. Miss Strong felt that it was much too bad. Twenty minutes after the appointed time, and still no signs of Mister Paxton. The weather was, if anything, worse even than the night before. The mist was more pronounced, a chillier breeze was in the air, a disagreeable drizzle showed momentary symptoms of falling faster. The pier was nearly deserted, it was not the kind of evening to tempt pleasure-seekers out. Miss Strong had been at the place of meeting in front of time. After Mr. Paxton's departure on the previous evening, between Miss Wentworth and herself there had been certain passages— bitter words had been said particularly by miss strong in consequence for the first time on record the friends had parted in anger nor had the quarrel been made up afterwards on the contrary all day long the atmosphere had been charged with electricity miss strong was conscious that in certain of the things which she had said she had wronged her friend as she assured herself her friend had wronged her lover it is true two wrongs do not make a right, but Miss Strong had made up her mind that she would not apologize to Miss Wentworth for what she had said to her until Miss Wentworth had apologized for what she had said to Cyril. As Miss Wentworth showed no disposition to do anything of the kind, the position was more than a trifle strained. So strained, indeed, that Miss Strong, after confining herself to the bedroom for most of the day, rushed out of the house a full hour before it was time for meeting Cyril, declaring to herself that anything—mist, wind, or rain—was better than remaining prisoned any longer under the same roof which sheltered an unfriendly friend. Under such circumstances, to her, it seemed a cardinal crime on Cyril's part that he should actually be twenty minutes late. After what he said last night about not keeping me waiting for a second, considering the way in which he said it, I did think that he would be punctual. How can he expect me to trust him in larger things if he does not keep faith with me in small? If anything had happened to detain him, he might have let me know in time. The indignant lady did not stay to reflect that she had left home unnecessarily early, and that an explanation of the gentleman's absence might, even now, be awaiting her there. Besides, twenty minutes is not long, but perhaps in the case of a lover's rendezvous, by some magnifying process proper to such occasions, twenty minutes may assume the dimensions of an hour. I'll go once more up and down the pier, and then if he hasn't come I'll go straight home. How Charlie will laugh at me and triumph and say I told you so. Oh, Cyril, how unkind you are not to come when you promised. I don't care, but I do know this, that if Charlie Wentworth is not careful what she says, I will never speak to her again, never, as long as I live. It seemed as if the young lady did not quite know whether to be the more angry with her lover or her friend. She went up the pier, then started to return. As she came back, a man wearing a Macintosh advanced to her with uplifted cap and outstretched hand. "'Miss Strong!' It was Mr. Lawrence, the last man whom, just then, she would have wished to see. Could anything have been more unfortunate? What would Cyril think if again he found them there together? She decided to get rid of the man without delay. 
but the thing was easier decided on than done especially as mr lawrence immediately said something which caused her to postpone his dismissal longer than she had intended i saw mr paxton this afternoon in town he had fallen in quite naturally by her side she had moderated her pace wishing to rid herself of him before she reached the gates indeed in the city i suppose he is there on business he wasn't in the city when i saw him and the business on which he was employed was of an agreeable kind he seemed to be making a day of it at the criterion bar are you not mistaken are you sure that it was mr paxton quite sure may i ask if he is an intimate friend of yours he is a very intimate friend indeed i am expecting him here every moment expecting him here you really are mr lawrence stopped and turned and stared as if her words surprised him i beg your pardon miss strong but he is stopping to-night in town stopping to-night in town it was miss strong's turn to stand and stare how do you know did he tell you so not in so many words but i think you will find that he is the the fact is miss strong i heard an ugly story about mr paxton and i am afraid you will find that there is something wrong the lady grasped the handle of her umbrella with added vigour her impulse was to lay it about the speaker's head but she refrained you must be too acute of hearing mr lawrence if i were you i should exchange your ears for another pair good evening but she was not to escape from him so easily he caught her by the arm miss strong don't go not for a moment there is something which i particularly wish to say to you what there is mr lawrence which you can particularly wish to say to me i am unable to conceive i fear that may be so miss strong but there is something all the same these are early days in which to say it and the moment is not the most propitious i could have chosen but the circumstances are stronger than i i have a feeling that it must be now or never you know very little of me miss strong probably you will say you know nothing that i am to all intents and purposes a stranger but i know enough of you to know that i love you that you are to me what no woman has ever been before or will ever be again and what i particularly wish to say to you is to ask you to be my wife his words were so wholly unexpected that for the moment they took the lady's breath away he spoke quietly even coldly but in his coldness there was a vibrant something which was suggestive of the heat of passion being hidden below while the very quietude of his utterance made his words more effective than if he had shouted them at the top of his voice it was a second or two before the startled lady answered what you have said takes me so completely by surprise that i hardly know whether or not you are in earnest i am in earnest i assure you that i am mad in saying it i am quite aware how mad even you can have no notion but i had to say it and it said if you would only be my wife you would do a good deed of the magnitude of which you have no conception there is nothing in return which i would not do for you on this occasion in saying so i do not think that i am using an empty form of words as you yourself pointed out you are a stranger to me nor have i any desire that you should be anything but a stranger thank you miss strong you brought it upon yourself i own that it is not your fault that i love you 
nor can I admit that it is my misfortune. There is one chief reason why your flattering proposals are unwelcome to me. I happen already to be a promised wife. I am engaged to Mr. Paxton. Is that so? Then I am sorry for you. Why are you sorry? Ere long, unless I am mistaken, you will learn that I have cause for sorrow, and that you have cause for sorrow, too. Without another word, the lady, the gentleman making no effort to detain her, walked away. She went straight home. She found Miss Wentworth in her favorite attitude, feet stretched on the chair in front of her, engaged, as Miss Strong chose to phrase it, in her everlasting reading. When Miss Wentworth was not writing, she was wont to be reading. Miss Strong occasionally wished that she would employ herself in more varying occupations. Momentarily oblivious of the coolness which had sprung up between her friend and herself, Miss Strong plumped herself down onto a chair, forgetful of the fact that she had brought her umbrella with her into the room, and that the rain was trickling down it. "'Charlie, whatever do you think has happened?' Miss Wentworth had contented herself with nodding as her friend had entered. Now, lowering her book, she glanced at her over the top of it. "'I don't know what has happened, my dear, but I do know what is happening. Your umbrella is making a fish-pond on the carpet.' Miss Strong got up with something of a jump. She deposited her Macintosh and umbrella in the hall. When she returned, her friend greeted her with laughter in her eyes. "'Well, what has happened? But perhaps before you tell me you might give an eye to those elegant boots of yours, they never struck me as being altogether waterproof.' With tightened lips, Miss Strong removed her boots. It was true that they badly wanted changing, but that was nothing. In her present mood she resented having her attention diverted to unimportant details. She expressed herself to that effect as she undid the buttons. "'I do believe that you are the hardest-natured girl I ever knew. You've no sense of feeling. If I were dying for want of it, I should never dream of coming to you for sympathy.' Miss Wentworth received this tirade with complete placidity. "'Quite so, my dear. Well, what has happened?' Miss Strong snuggled her feet into her slippers. She began to fidget about the room. Suddenly she burst out in what could only be described as a tone of angry petulance. "'You will laugh at me, I know you will. But you had better not. I can tell you that I am in no mood to be laughed at. I feel as if I must tell it to someone, and I have no one in the world to tell things to but you. Mr. Lawrence has dared to make me a proposal of marriage.' The complete one might almost say the humorous repose of Miss Wentworth's manner was in striking contrast to her friend's excitability. "'Mr. Lawrence, isn't that the individual whom you met on the dyke and who was introduced to you by his umbrella?' "'Of course it is.' "'And he has proposed to you, has he? Very good of him, I'm sure. The sex has scored another victory. I did not know that matters had progressed with you so far as that.' "'But now and then, I suppose, one does move quickly. "'I offer you my congratulations.' "'Charlie, you are maddening.' "'Not at all. "'But I believe it is a popular theory "'that a woman ought always to be congratulated "'on receiving a proposal from a man. "'The idea seems to be that it is the best gift "'which the gods can possibly bestow upon a woman. "'And pray, where did this gentleman so honour you? "'Right under Mr. Paxton's nose?' 
Cyril wasn't there. Not there? Miss Strong turned her face away. Miss Wentworth eyed her for a moment before she spoke again. I thought that you had an appointment with him and that you went out to keep it. He never came. Indeed. Miss Wentworth's tone was dry, but in spite of its dryness it seemed that there was something in it which touched a secret spring which was hidden in her listener's breast. Suddenly Miss Strong broke into a flood of tears, and running forward fell on her knees at her friend's side and pillowed her face in her lap. "'Oh, Charlie, I am so unhappy. You mustn't laugh at me. I am. Everything seems to be going wrong. Everything. I feel as if I should like to die.' There is allotted to every one of us a time for death. I wouldn't attempt to forestall my allotment if I were you. What is the particular pressing grief? I am the most miserable girl in the world. Hush, be easy. There are girls, myriads of them, myriads, who would esteem such misery as yours happiness. Tell me, what's the trouble? In spite of the satirical touch which tinged her speech, a strain of curious melody had all at once come into her voice, which, as if it had been an anaesthetic, served to ease the extreme tension of the other's nerves. Miss Strong looked up, the tears still streaming down her cheeks, but exhibiting some signs of at least elementary self-control. "'Everything's the trouble. Everything seems to be going wrong. That's just the plain and simple truth. Cyril said he would meet me to-night, and he promised he'd be punctual, and I waited for him ever so long on the pier in the rain, and after all he never came. And then that wretched Mr. Lawrence came and made his ridiculous proposal, and—and and said all sorts of dreadful things of Cyril. Said all sorts of dreadful things of Cyril, did he? As, for instance, what? He said that he was going to stop in town all night. Well, and why shouldn't he? "'Why shouldn't he, after saying he would meet me, "'and promising to be punctual and keeping me waiting on the pier "'without giving me any sort of hint that he had changed his mind? "'Charlie!' "'Pray, how did Mr. Lawrence come to know "'that Mr. Paxton intended to spend the night in London?' "'He says that he saw him there. "'I did not know they were acquainted. "'I introduced them the night before last. "'I see.' Again Miss Wentworth's tone was significantly dry. Mr. Paxton has never seemed to me to be a man whose confidence was easily gained, especially by a stranger. Mr. Lawrence must have progressed more rapidly with him even than with you. And pray, what else was Mr. Lawrence pleased to say of Mr. Paxton? Oh, a lot of lies! Of course I knew that they were a lot of lies, but they made me so wild that I felt that I should like to shake him. "'Shake me instead, my dear. "'One is given to understand that jolting is good for the liver. "'Who's that?' "'There was a sound of knocking at the front door. "'Miss Strong glanced eagerly round. "'A flush came into her cheeks, a light into her eyes. "'Possibly that is the recalcitrant Mr. Paxton, "'in his own proper person, "'coming with apologies in both his hands. "'Perhaps you would like to go and see?' End of chapter 9